It's Monday the 21st of February 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and after an unscheduled break last week, you are now listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this past week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is the broadcast journalist and chair of the Icelandic Journalists Association, Sigríður Welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, this past week, I think it's fair to say, has been more about ongoing stories than specific new events. Um, one example of that is this evening's orange weather warning for all regions of Iceland, which is just the latest in a conveyor belt of storms that have been battering the country of late. The capital is covered in a thick layer of snow and ice, the likes of which it has not seen for at least three or four years, and has been for about two weeks now, and there's more on the way. Another ongoing story is, of course, COVID, with the previously announced intention to remove all remaining restrictions this Friday now hanging very much in the balance, mostly because hospital services are paralysed by the sheer number of staff off work in COVID isolation. The record high infection rate continues, though there are five fewer COVID patients in hospital today than there were yesterday. And then there's a story that I know you're deeply invested in, Sigga. Um It's the ongoing twists and turns of the Sam Heri case, sometimes called the fish rot scandal overseas, and specifically the fact that four investigative journalists were last week made official suspects in an investigation of personal privacy um, breaches of personal privacy in northeast Iceland, being carried out by the northeast Iceland police. In other news, Solveig Anna Jonsdottir succeeded in her bid to lead the Epling Union once again, winning the members' ballot convincingly, albeit despite a very low turnout. The world was introduced to Niceair, a new company that plans to start direct flights between Akureyri and Denmark, Spain and the UK from this June. Its managers and investors say it could be a major boost to the north and east of the country. And finally, gun crime has been in the headlines following apparently unrelated shootings in Gravoholt and Reykjavik city centre and a subsequent ongoing conversation about policing. Where would you like to begin? Ooh, I think we need to start with the weather. It's, yep. it's, it's something that we really like talking about us Icelanders, the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we do like to talk about it because it affects us so much and over such a long period of time, especially in the winter. But this is unusual now, especially for the the southwestern part of Iceland and the capital area, Reykjavik. The snow is just like <laughs> almost drowning us. Mm. It's really unusual. Yeah. But for those who like uh, winter sports, um, those are those people are very happy. That includes me. Although it can be a bit difficult to get to work in the morning sometimes. But uh, no, it's unusual um, to see this much snow. People who, who who haven't spent a lot of time in Iceland during the winter don't realize that uh, how mild the winters actually are here in the southwest part of Iceland. And uh, are uh, sometimes... Uh, surprised when you describe to them that sometimes we get winters without snow, more or less. Mm. Last year, last for, year, for example. For an example, this mm. is completely different, and uh, it feels like it feels like proper winter, and it feels like um, this is the winter that I I I would like to <laughs> experience more often, uh, without the horrible weathers, of course, but with the snow. Yeah, I agree. Um, And of course, there's nothing unusual about big storms at this time of year, orange weather warnings. Uh, People are generally quite good at listening to the warnings and and not getting stuck on the roads, obviously with exceptions. We're getting better at it. We're getting better, yeah. 
Um, but perhaps this year is a bit unusual just in, in the number of them and the fact that the early winter was quite gentle and now suddenly we're paying for it. Yeah, I think uh, um, Icelanders have a very short short-term memory, uh, which is the only reason we are able to live in this country. Uh, we forget how challenging the weather can be. We forget how <laughs> cold the summers are. Uh, so we're always taken by surprise when we get <laughs> horrible storms or weathers like this because we tend to forget that they come every year. Uh, without this short-term memory lapse, we probably couldn't live here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, spring soon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing. Uh, we always forget as well that spring doesn't really come until May and we start waiting for it around Easter. Mm. <laughs> that's a little bit too pessimistic, I would say, but... <laughs> No, no, no. Easter's that's, uh... kind of the turning point. <laughs> um, yeah, but in, in all seriousness, people too should be aware that this evening and tonight there is an orange weather alert and it covers the whole country, which isn't perhaps that common. Um, so sort of stay safe, stay warm, stay indoors. Yeah, and we've recently, it's not long since we started using this uh, uh, weather alarm system, uh, the colour-coded system. Mm. And so we're starting to learn what it means, uh, red warning and, and amber warning, orange warning. So uh, um, the f over the last few storms, so during the last few storms, uh, we have been taking it very seriously, the warning, stay at home and, and go, don't go out during the storm or, and prepare everything before the storm. So the damage and the ramifications have been less serious than they probably would have been a couple of years ago before we started using the system uh, weather warming, warning. And it's kind of funny in a way that this exactly what you're just saying, this, this people taking it more seriously and taking better precautions mm -hmm. leads sometimes people to say, well, it wasn't very serious. Yeah, it wasn't as bad, it wasn't as, as, bad as, as we you expected. had warned us. Yeah, yeah, but it was. Yeah, but... <laughs> But we we um, managed to escape from it very sa ra relatively safely because of the precautions. Yeah. Mm. And because of the fact that winter storms are frequent and it is winter, then maybe we won't spend any more time on it. No. Let's go on to a different topic. Where <laughs> yeah. would you like to go next? Well, maybe to the topic that... Um, is is the top of, at the top of my head uh, at the moment and has been for the last week or so. Um, the issue of the freedom of the press. Um, as you explained in your introduction, we have uh, an ongoing story evolving around the fish rot scandal. And constantly we are taken by surprise by new angles of the story. And the latest one is this decision by the... Now I'm... I have to ask you to step in and help me with the words because this is very legal and technical and I've only spoken about this in Icelandic. So uh, if I use the wrong terms, you correct me. I will try. Or if we both use the wrong terms, people have to forgive us. Um, and that's actually a serious warning because the media are being so carefully monitored over this very case that people are getting in trouble and that's what this is all about. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I'm trying to be very careful uh, in the way that I'm going to try and explain what, what's happening here. So, four Icelandic journalists have been 
asked to come into questioning to the police of the northeast Iceland district. Uh, the police will come to Reykjavik because all of the journalists are here in Reykjavik to, quest, uh, to question them. And um, they, according to the information that the police issued about this uh, uh, request, or I'm not even sure if you can use the request, but because you don't have to, you, you don't have an option to say no, um, an order to come into questioning. Um, the only uh, law that the journalists are uh, accused of having broken is the freedom of privacy. Mm. Uh, so they wrote stories, three out of four of those journalists wrote stories um, that were um, in... Uh, you can say you the can, Icelandic word. Yeah, <laughs> that were probably originated from... Uh, personal information, um, which is something that journalists do every time, every, uh, every day around the world, and it's always a question about whether this information um, should be available to the public and in in public interests, and uh, certainly that was the case here because it shed a new light on the way people around Samhari were trying to manipulate the press and uh, attacking the press. They were planning on how to undermine uh, reporters and undermine the stories that were being reported. So definitely everyone agrees and uh, that this, these stories uh, were of the nature that the uh, public needed to hear them. So, and the company has since apologized for their behavior and uh, no one has come forward and uh, questioned whether this information were correct or whether they were intended for the public. So, um, we are, as a profession and as a professional union, very much taken by surprise and appalled by the decision of the police to ask uh, to order the journalist into questioning only uh, for writing these stories. So, um, so uh, it's it's a bit difficult to explain, especially for someone who's uh, been talking about this and thinking about this in Icelandic, but um, there, it's, a, it's a new law that was uh, agreed in Parliament last year that was intended to protect people from having their personal uh, information such as nude photos stolen and published uh, for no reason. But it's built in the law that this uh, particular uh, article of the law is not intended to um, stop journalists from publishing stories based on personal information, information that might be uh, seen as uh, a, a private information if the story is, uh, what's the word? In the public interest. <laughs> In the public interest, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's what the, what's the, that's, that's the um, question here, whether the police in the Northeast is allowed to ask or order the journalist into questioning around I wonder, I wonder this particular law. If they um, 
if someone's asking them to investigate this, though, don't they have to investigate it and then decide later? Well, well whether... that's the thing, because uh, just by uh, ordering journalists to to come and um, explain, perhaps we, we, we are wondering if the police is going to ask if they will give up their information sources, which is, of course, is forbidden by law. Mm. Only ordering them to come into questioning about stories that they are allowed to write and they're only doing their job writing stories based on information that they received. We're not allowed to ask how they received it and from whom. So that's the only questions that the police really can ask because there's nothing else to ask them about. Mm. So um, the European Council has um, issued um, a, a guidance addressing this exactly, um, saying that the police should always be very careful when when um, asking or ordering journalists into questioning about certain uh, stories they write, because just that in itself mm. can be... Um, deterring for people to give out information to the journalists, to the press, because they are concerned that eventually or possibly or maybe uh, the journalist will be forced somehow to give up their sources. Um, so just the act in itself is... Um, yeah, I know what yeah, you mean. Do you it's know kind what of, I'm trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> um, Exactly, yeah, sort of a delaying uh, uh, to push people away, to the journalists themselves mm -hmm, as well. The mm -hmm. more hassle this is, the more risk they put themselves into, perhaps the less likely they are to be investigating this in the first place. Absolutely. And that's what some people would want. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, I mean, you've you've responded directly, personally, to, to some politicians, Bjartni Ben specifically, mm -hmm. um, saying... Why are journalists different? Why shouldn't they just answer the questions yeah. like anybody else? Journalists are not above the law. Mm. And that's what we've been pointing out. Exactly, we're not. If we break the law, like anyone else, we should, you know, be be uh, handled just exactly the same way as anyone else. But this is different. This is about writing stories. This is about do, doing our job. This is about uh, receiving information um, um, meta assessing it assessing it yep. and uh, deciding that it was in the pers public interest which mm. is an essential part of what the, what the journalist does every day and it's an important job for the democracy for the you know for society and um, this is something that we take very seriously and uh, the Assessing information is something that um, is is uh, vital every day in our jobs and assessing whether we are breaching any privacy law or if the, the information should be made public. But then sometimes we all make mistakes and whose job is it then to decide if we have breached any laws other than the but police? But then you can see it from the story. You can, you, you know, if someone sues you over mm. a story... The story in itself is the evidence. Is there anything in this story that uh, was not, 
should not be made available to the public, and but that you don't have to ask or order the journalists into questioning. That's the difference here. Um, the only reason you want journalists uh, that you're asking journalists to come and, and speak to the police is to give information that they cannot give. Who, where did you get the information from? Who was your source? So the future um, seems pretty unlikely that charges will be issued in this particular case. Yeah, it. Uh, we have um, uh, had several similar cases going through the court system and always ended up in favour of the journalists, in, in, in the favour of journalism, which is another reason why this shouldn't be happening. And presumably the people behind it, the complainants, realise this and they've, they've seen it in the past. So well, is your conclusion, therefore, that they are just trying to slow things down and, and maybe hide something? Well, the thing is, um, no one has complained, as far as we know, uh, about the stories. So the complaint was originally, uh, as far as we we have the information that we have gotten, the complaint was originally about a stolen phone or a phone that's been compromised somehow, and which is something all the journalists have no part of uh, taking part of. And so they just re received information. They don't know from where or obviously won't give up their sources. So... Uh, but these charges that they are facing have nothing to do with a stolen phone. So no one has complained about uh, a misuse of, of personal information, which, mm -hmm. this is, which is what this case is about. OK. Just quickly before we move on, um, what would you like to see happen next? Given the situation we're in today, how should this end? Well, it's, it's a complicated matter because now one of the journalists has uh, asked the courts in the northeast of Iceland in the same district as the police is operating to uh, determine whether the decision by the police is uh, according to the law. So the interrogations that were supposed to take place today have been postponed until the ruling of the courts. So the judge in the northeast is now about to rule whether the police uh, was correct in ordering the journalists into questioning or not. Mm -hmm. So that's the next decision we're waiting on and it will be very interesting to see what happens then. Of course, I would hope to see the judge rule in the journalists' favour, but um, we'll see. Mm -hmm. So the ne second next, uh, if, if that doesn't happen, the next thing I would like to see is just the case being dismissed. Yeah. And we'll that could see. very well happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's move on to uh, another story quickly. Um, anything else stand out to you? From yeah, Appling is a big case, a big story, I think. Um, Solveig Anna being re-elected surprised some people, but uh, she's been very vocal uh, on her, uh, how she wants to see things move forward. But she... Uh, as people might know, have had to resign or was forced to resign from her uh, president position in the union. Which was back in November, I think. Yeah. Mm. And uh, people were main, mostly taken by surprise that she was uh, stepping forward again. 
and um, but she won, mm. so she is re-elected convincingly. So she obviously, although she is, um, has has not been very popular within the the office of Eblink and has been accused of of being um, unfair and uh, uh, towards the people who work there, to say the least. And obviously the people at the union in the union itself trust her to take forward their cases against the um, their employees employers mm. when the renegotiations renegotiations of the contracts start she end of this year yeah she did um really sort of make a name for herself. She was very prominent the last time round uh, when the Leaf Skarasamdinkush was agreed. And I think she's probably got a lot of capital, a lot of credit from that still today. Yeah, people just, I think, obviously, people trust her in this situation. Mm. So it will be interesting to see how she will handle the the office politics and the accusations against her within the office of mm. Eblink. So she won this election with... I think in the region of two and a half thousand votes, the second place was about one and a half thousand votes. So mm. it was a big margin. But the union's got what is it about twenty thousand members? Yeah, it's the second largest union in Iceland. So the the turnout among members was very low. Very low, and I think that's not very unusual. No, no, a lot of people don't even realise that these things are happening. No, um, no. But also, a lot of people are not very motivated to to vote uh, in their own union elections which might just prove that they're happy with the services they're receiving. Yeah, maybe. And uh well, it's it's always hard to get people to turn out to vote, uh especially in a in a something like this where you don't really understand how important it is to vote mm. in a in an organization like that one. Um and uh, to understand that uh, you can have an impact on how your contracts are being handled in the future, or you just trust all the people uh, who are, you know, stepping forward and and asking for your support, or you or you don't care. Mm. Don't know. I think perhaps a lot of employers um, might be unhappy with this result because she is so such a powerful voice and so prominent and uh, sort of fights hard, perhaps more than. Other well, I think leaders. it's easy to say that she has changed the narrative mm. in terms of uh, uh, low-income workers and their fight for uh, uh, sort of um, higher salaries and uh, change of uh, opinion on 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 where they stand in the social ladder. So she has put this. In, Fight on the map, if you can say so, and 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 created a discourse, a narrative that we haven't heard for decades here in Iceland, and from a sort of a socialist point of view, where you are um, talking about classes and uh, injustice and uh, inequality in a way that we haven't heard for a long, long time, and she has managed to get through with her message and, um, yeah, change the narrative, which is uh, a huge and had a huge impact in the uh, the way we talk about uh, 
classes and um, and low income uh, what do you call it professions mm. yeah absolutely the union's got two main roles you could say it's it's fighting in these collective bargaining agreements pushing for the best wages and conditions for all of their members on the one hand and on the other hand as to day-to-day things dealing with individuals um sorting out problems with employers making sure that they get their summer houses all this sort of stuff um and you could perhaps say that under sort of Anna, the, the the former of those two is is stronger than the latter yeah absolutely because um Mm. We we there is a there is a shift in terms of uh, um, class struggle in in Iceland. We we haven't we have kind of been oblivious to uh, the fact that there is a great gap. There is a gap between the low income classes and the and the higher classes or upper classes or upper middle classes and the educated so um finally there's a someone who who is speaking for those uh, low income classes and challenging um the 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 sort of the accepted method of speaking about the sort of like clashes between the classes instead of um the usual top to bottom narratives she's speaking from the bottom up and mm-hmm. sort of breaking everything up which is uh, refreshing in a way and something that we probably need as a nation especially now especially coming out now. of this financial crisis caused by covid it's mm-hmm. a, it's a really significant year to be having these negotiations oh this and uh, you can also see that um, the focus over the last few years couple of years maybe since the uh last um yeah n- round of negotiations round yep. of negotiation mm-hmm. the focus has been on the low income classes which is something that was timely and needed to begun uh, needed to happen but uh, the educated classes nurses uh, journalists um sort of middle class working uh, educated classes have been left out and the gap between the low income and the sort of lower middle class educated has been very has become very small so i think the focused focus in the next negotiations are going is going to be very much on the low income educated maybe female uh, professions which is interesting to see how the the struggle between not uh, between those two uh, aspects mm. will turn out. Yeah, and it's funny, well not funny, but insignificant that that is a struggle at all when people like Solvigana are talking about the very richest in society, mm-hmm. not about the people directly above. No, <laughs> so, the low yeah. income ones. Yeah. Indeed. Well, um uh, on that note, I'm afraid we're out of time. Um, The Week in Iceland will be back with you next Monday, the 28th of February on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Sigrid Dirk Oedensdottir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we finished today's programme with a bit of a curveball song choice, I'll admit, um, but for two good reasons. Firstly, yesterday was Kornodagur, or Women's Day in Iceland, and the start of the month of Goa, uh, on the old calendar, that is. And so this is a band called Goa, 
or actually go A, but you know. <laughs> the second reason is that this Ukrainian band that represented Ukraine at Eurovision last year will be here in Reykjavik to perform at the grand final of Söngvaketnin with the viewing public of Iceland deciding who we're going to send to Eurovision this year. That takes place on the 12th of March and tickets are already on sale on tix.is. So, with the reasoning now very clear, this is the not easily ignored Go A with Shum. Enjoy! Сорочечко прала, 